The month of February hosts two of the most special days in the calendar year. The first is my birthday is February 17th. For those of you who may wish to send cash or checks, uh, we'll accept them. The second, of course, is Valentine's Day. Card shops and chocolate venues, flower shops, jewelry stores are well aware of the significance people place in telling someone they are loved. I noted with some interest the Valentine cards that are available in some of our stores and also on the internet. Uh, The one I found was um, entitled, Dumping Your Significant Jerk. I thought that was very romantic. Another one I looked over was, looking back over all the years we've been married, I can't help but wonder, what in the world was I thinking? And then there were some other ones, for all our tomorrows, whatever they hold, and for sharing the love that will never grow old, this brings all my love and a special wish, too, that you will always be as happy as I am with you. That's, that's, that's a tearjerker, isn't it? I like it. One section had Valentine's for pets. Yes, it did. Uh, Go figure. If your neighbor's cat isn't smart enough to be quiet outside your bedroom window at 1 o'clock in the morning, I doubt it's going to be smart enough to know that it's loved by simply putting a Valentine's in front of its face. I, I, I couldn't see spending money for pets, but people do. But to many people, this whole idea of love is kind of intriguing and uh, almost magical, wishful thinking. In, um, in Los Angeles, they have a store that knows marriages are on the rocks. And so they have a sign that says, we rent wedding rings. Kind of, we know it's not going to work out, so why spend a lot of money for a ring? An old hillbilly and his son go to the city for the first time. They go to a large department store standing by the elevator, which they'd never seen before. And all of a sudden, the wall opens up, and an elderly lady gets in and walks into the elevator, and the doors close behind him. Well, these two guys are absolutely blown out of the water with this disappearing act. They'd never seen something like this. Just a couple minutes later, the doors open up, and just a beautiful young lady comes walking out. The old hillbilly looks at his son and said, we should have brought your ma. A lot of people in the Christian life like to think that Christianity is almost like that. It's kind of a magic show that we kind of have a short little fling with, and if we don't like it, well, we just walk away from it. And when the novelty wears off, we just walk away from it. Engelbert Humperdinck, in one of his love songs, sang these words, "'Love me with all your heart, that's all I want.'" Love me with all your heart or not at all. The Bible puts it this way. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. In the Christian life, there are no short-term commitments. There are no escape clauses. This was so vividly demonstrated by the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When the mob arrived to arrest him, his frightened disciples, he told his frightened disciples... I could call 12 legion of angels. And as the hymn writer said, to destroy the world and set me free. A legion of angels is either uh, 3,000 men or 6,000, depending which part of the Roman era you were talking about. Jesus said, I could get out of here. If I wanted to quit right now, I can do it. But there was no escape passage way out of the Garden of Gethsemane. There was no quitting now. Because Jesus came to do his Father's will. 
After the horror of Calvary, the weary disciples went out fishing. This was, this was something they knew and understood. On the lake, Peter and the disciples were out on their own surf. The events of the last few days had left them reeling, and uh, perhaps they were ready to walk away from the faith altogether. Maybe they thought this just didn't work out like I thought it was. And so they were out fishing, and, and Jesus and his disciples had been together for three years. And in those three years, they must have talked with each other. They must have spent so much time together. And yet Jesus asked Peter a very point-blank question. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And for a stepping stone for my sermon today, I'd ask you to turn to John 21, and we'll read just four verses out of there. John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Love is a relationship. Jesus' question seems to be asking, what kind of a relationship do we have? Jesus was not interested in just some cute words that a professional card writer would write. There is no positive reference, of course, to Peter's earlier denial and fall, but the implications seem to be there with the t- three questions that were asked three times. In the test of life, Satan held up Peter's report card with an F on it. Failure. In the proof of God's love, God also holds up Peter's report card with an F on it. And it was the word forgiven. The word forgiven is one of the most powerful and beautiful words in any language in the whole world. Forgiven. Jesus alone can move us from disgrace to grace. Jesus alone can move us from shame to a place of honor. One writer said, My Savior's obedience in blood hides all of my transgressions from view. Isaiah chapter 43 says, I will blot out your sins and your sins I will remember no more. Can you think of anything more beautiful today than to be that forgiven? by simply putting our faith in Christ. Peter was torn apart by the fact that he had sinned and couldn't explain why. Too ashamed to ask for forgiveness, perhaps. And yet he was too faithful to be counted out. You all know what I'm talking about. All of us have seen our promises of obedience and commitments ripped to shreds by a chainsaw of unbelief and compromise. In that way, we have all walked the streets of Jerusalem, 
In that way, we, have all be, we can all relate. Jesus was testing the relationship. Where do I fit in? And it is a question I would ask us all this morning. Where, where, where do we fit in in our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ? First of all, where does Christ fit in in our relationship, uh, in human relationships? Does Christ and his kingdom have a priority in our family, our friends, and our neighbors? Do we think enough of Christ to get involved in the lives of people, even if to do that costs time and energy and money? A cartoon in Leadership Magazine shows a preacher standing in the pulpit saying, God is love. And his second point was, love your neighbors. And the last one was, love your enemies. And then his conclusion of the sermon was, love is of God. The final frame of that comic strip shows the pastor standing at the door, shaking hands with the people as they left. And he said, this is the part I hate. From the neck up, we have no problem with the idea of love. Like the preacher in, his, in, the, in that cartoon, such ideas of love kind of bounce around in our heads and roll out of our mouths on a regular basis. Love as an idea is easily agreed upon by Christians. Practicing love becomes the problem. At a pastor's conference I was at many years ago, Warren Wiersbe of Moody Memorial said, To live above with saints we love, won't that be glory? To live below with saints we know, now that's a different story. One man that I spoke to uh, recently, um, I'm not quoting him, but he said, I could love the whole world. It's that thunderhead beside us that I can't stand. You see, we, we talk about love. We sing about the great love of God, but sometimes our word for love is so confused. What do we mean by it? And so Jesus was coming back and he was testing that relationship. William Gladstone was a British prime minister in the mid-1800s. And he was reported to have said, and I've modified it a little bit, because I, but I think if Mr. Gladstone knew I was preaching today, he'd have said it exactly like I wrote it out in your bulletin. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, there will be peace and unity in the home the church, and the world. Let me say that one more time. It's in your bulletin. That's something to keep in mind. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, there will be peace and unity in our homes, in our church, and in the world. Love tends to decrease as power increases and vice versa. You see, folks, loving Christians, loving other Christians is not an option. I'm amazed and saddened how forgiving we all can be when a professional athlete or politician uh, is caught committing some of the most heinous or stupid crimes. Yet if a Christian brother or sister falls or stumbles or struggles in the faith, we put on our not-so-spiritual boots and we, we kick them when they're down. Our first thought is often punishment and revenge instead of redemption. And I don't see that from the Lord Jesus Christ. When people are down, when people have fallen, when people are struggling in the faith, they need our love, our care, and our forgiveness more than they ever needed it before. 
And I've observed this for many, many years in different churches. And I always wonder, when will we ever get it right? When will we ever learn how Jesus did it? Someone said, to love means doing what we do not want to do because we want to. To love means doing what we do not want to do because we want to. And sometimes that's so hard when we're dealing with Christian brothers and sisters. But we want to love you. We want to tell you that you matter, that, you, that we care. Jesus was asking Peter if he loved him enough to get involved in other people's lives. Do you love me more than these? The word love there, you know well, is the word agape. And agape love was always to do with personal relationships. Are you willing to reach outside of your holy little huddle? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. I believe Peter was now beginning to understand what Jesus said when he meant, greater love has no man than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. Christ's love is stronger than life or death. His love is not until death us do part. In Romans chapter 8, you know that chapter well. Paul is going on to say, what can separate us from the love of Christ? And he gives us this great big long list. And then he comes to the final conclusion. And he says, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, which is in Christ, from the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, on that basis, Christ has the right to ask you and me, do you love me enough to become my people of hope for a world in despair? And my, our world is in despair. But we have the answer, and we have a hope for a world in that despair. Well, where does Christ fit in in our business relationships? Jesus asked Simon again, verse 16, Simon, do you truly love me? And the word love here is the Greek word phileo or phileo, and you know that. And that's always in relationship to business associates. It could be used for members of a hockey team. This is my team. I love my team members. Well, that's a little bit different than how we love our families, obviously. Jesus was now testing the relationship against the business world. Unfortunately, we seem to have a tremendous dropout rate at this point in the Christian community. We have too many Sunday morning saints and Monday morning ain'ts. Ain'ts is a Saskatchewan word. Father Charette, a Catholic priest in St. John Vianney Church in Penticton, B.C., uh, told his congregation that we often think of the commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, as simply meaning we shouldn't curse using God's name. But he suggested that if on a Sunday you sit in church and are very pious and righteous, but does not carry into your place of work on Monday... You are taking the name of the Lord in vain and violating the third commandment. That's powerful preaching. Jesus was suggesting to us that Christianity is either relevant all the time or it is not relevant at all. Where do I fit in in your business relationships? Well, then he also seems to say, where do I fit in in our spiritual lives? Disciples have just spent three years preaching and teaching and healing and watching Jesus uh, closely for three years. Maybe they just took for granted that after all this time that Jesus just knew, Lord, you know I love you. Perhaps Jesus was feeling like the Jewish couple from the movie Fiddler on the Roof. We have the husband Tevye asking his wife Golda, A question that really startles her. It's their 25th wedding anniversary. You know that scene well. 
Tevye says to her, just out of the blue, do you love me? Gold is totally caught off guard. She says, do I what? And he says, Golda, I'm asking you this question. Do you love me? And she says, what's the matter with you? Are you sick? Go lie down. You must have indigestion. You want to know if I love you? I've cooked your meals, kept your house, washed your clothes, gave you babies, and you want to know, do I love you? And then Golda says once more, Golda, I'm asking you this question. Do you love me? And she responds, well, I suppose I do. And Tevye says with some satisfaction, well, after 25 years, it's nice to know. You see, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we love God by all the things we do rather than by, the, by who we are. It's so easy to get caught up in that. I want to ask a point-blank question like Jesus did. Have you told the Lord Jesus lately, Lord Jesus, I love you? It's hard for men to do that sometimes. Lord, I love you. Upon Peter's confession, Jesus instructs him to take care of my sheep. Love's relationship always leads to a task. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. And I want you to know Jesus didn't pat him on the back, congratulate him, says, join the church, relax, you're in. There was a little bit more to that. He immediately gives him a task to do, and that comes out so clearly. In verse 15, feed my lambs. Why? Verse 16, take care of my sheep. Why? Verse 17, feed my sheep. Why? Because this is the true test of a love relationship. A husband said to his wife, Honey, I love you so much, I'd die for you. And she said, Oh, dearie, you're always saying that, but you never do. It's good to tell Jesus, I love you. But if we leave it there, it doesn't mean anything. A man owned a racehorse that always came last in every race it ever ran. The owner decided to change jockeys. On the way to the starting gate, the new jockey leans out of the saddle and he seems to be whispering something into the horse's ear. The horse came out of the starting gate like a shot. It led the entire race in one by three lengths. The owner was elated. The press reporters just couldn't get enough around this guy, this jockey. Well, they said, it looked like you said something to the horse. What did you say? And he said, oh, I just simply said, roses are red, violets are blue, horses that lose are made into glue. In other words, what he said to the horse, if our relationship is going to continue, you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to put some effort into it. That's true of every relationship. In the marriage, in the family. That's true of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to put some effort into it. We need to, we need to work at our relationship. Salvation is free and there's nothing you can do to earn it. But once we enter into relationship with Jesus Christ, I believe there's expectations of both of us. Jesus has certainly met his expectations. Are we meeting ours? David Wilkerson, founder of Teen Challenge and author of the book, The Cross and the Switchblade, said, Love is not something you feel. It is something you do. Wilkerson did not say that from a pulpit in some cathedral in New York or Chicago or Atlanta. 
He said it while he worked with street gangs in New York, with the likes of Nicky Cruz and his gang of Moo Moos, who was reportedly one of the most vicious gangs in New York. If Wilkerson only said to these guys, I love you, but didn't put his action to his words, I believe if he was only running on feelings, he'd have left after one week. His life was constantly threatened. And yet he told those guys, I love you. He led Nicky Cruz to the Lord who became a powerful evangelist. What if Wilkerson only would have said, yeah, I love the street gangs, but had done nothing about it. If our relationship is to be meaningful, we have to work at it. It was by obedience that Jesus showed his love for the Father. In Luke 6, Jesus asked this very key question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I ask you? That's a powerful question. Imagine the conversation Jesus had with Peter. Jesus said, do you love me? Feed my lambs. And Peter said, but Lord, I'm, I'm a fisherman. And I imagine Jesus looking him in the face and saying, and I'm calling you to change your life's work. I wonder if there's a person, a young person here today, or maybe a young couple, that God has put his hand on your shoulders. And he's saying this morning to you, I want you to change your life's work for Jesus' sake. Our immediate response is, well, I can't, I'm not qualified, I can't afford it. But here's a Christian principle that I want us all to remember. With the task comes the power. Jesus said, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That's a promise, folks. That's a promise that we can hold on to. Well, the task leads to a cross. God won't let you have a Pentecost until you've had a Calvary. In today's economy, we want to reverse the order. We live on the right side of Pentecost, but we're on the wrong side of power. We're inclined to have a smorgasbord relationship with Christ. I love smorgasbords. That's why our I love our seniors' uh, potluck coming up February 14th. I just put that in there again. Uh, I, I love those things. We kind of pick and choose. You know, I look at some of these things. I, I don't know if lutefisk was on the menu if I'd particularly take it, but um, uh, sauerkraut for sure I would go for. We, love the, we have this relationship with Christ, though. We love the idea of eternal life. We love the idea of peace and joy. We love a God who can find us a parking spot in front of the doctor's office when I'm running late. I, um, I kind of smile. I love baseball. I love uh, really watching baseball. And uh, I'm always kind of, I always kind of amused when I see the batter walking up to the batter's box and, and he's going like this and he's praying. You know, he's, he's, uh, it's the bottom of the ninth. Two out, two on, but they're behind three or eight. So he needs to hit a home run to win the game. And he just kind of looks up and says, God, I need a heavenly steroid here. Can you help me put this thing out of the park? And what he doesn't know is while he's walking and praying, the pitcher is saying, I haven't won a lot of games, God. If you could just put a little more whiz on my fastball. Uh, we, we love a God that can do those kinds of things. We delight, we delight in a wealth and health theology. A name it, claim it sermon is a staple diet in many of our churches in North America, especially television evangelists. It's fun to preach those. It's easy to preach those. But we do not necessarily choose 
fervent prayer, giving. We don't necessarily choose missions. We don't necessarily choose to be crucified with Jesus. Jesus started at the cross and he ended at the crown. We want to eliminate the cross. We don't want to use words like that. I recall a church that I attended in Kelowna when we lived out there. They took the cross out of the church because some unbeliever had come in and said, that offends me. Let it offend. Jesus is implying to us this morning, if we're going to be his disciples, the way of the cross is exactly the route that we will have to travel. He said, if any man come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Jesus never glamorized the Christian life in order to get converts. I do not read in Scripture that Jesus ever asked the unbelieving world what changes he should make in his ministry so that they'd feel more comfortable around him. You see, the Christian life is not a hocus-pocus show that I started my sermon off with. It is for those who are willing to march up the bleak side of the hill of Calvary. Perhaps many here today would say, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And that would be commendable. There are a few here who would not shrink back when Jesus said, I have a job for you. But I wonder how many of you would be willing to follow Christ. Just after he said that to do so would end in your crucifixion, you're being tied to a cross. Did you get what I read? I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And after he said that, he looked at him and said, follow me. For Peter, this was a life and death decision. Many of you know that Lorraine and I have been involved in ministry to the Muslims in the, uh, in the Middle East and uh, in various parts of Europe. And um, when, when they come to receive Christ out of Islam, many times they lose everything. They lose their homeland, they lose their family, they lose their jobs, they lose respect of their former friends. Um, Lorraine and I uh, recall being in Switzerland. I'd uh, been preaching at a conference. And there was a young man there by the name of Omid. And uh, he was familiar. He had a driver's license he could drive. So um, he was going to take Lorraine and I around to show us a little bit of what Switzerland looks like. And uh, it's scary driving with those guys. But I recall that he was talking how he came to Christ in Iran. And at one point he kind of pulled his shirt off and he showed us the scars on his back where he had been whipped. They had broken his legs with a bar and they never healed together. The one leg was kind of crooked and so when he walked, he walked with a limp. He was probably, as I recall, about 36, 40 years old, somewhere in there. And as I spoke with him, we had stopped at a, at a coffee shop there. We went into the washroom and he's He said, I want to show you something. He showed me a scar up here in his groin. He said they had stabbed me and they tried to hit the femoral artery, which is the big artery in your leg. And he said they left me to bleed to death. But he said I was able to grab my... They didn't hit the artery, but there's a lot of veins down there. 
He said, I grabbed my leg and I crawled for several hundred yards to a roadway. And he thought, I want to die on the road. And along comes a car. He kind of smiled. He said, the first car along was, a, was a two guys from, uh, two Christian men from America. Stopped, picked him up, took him to, took him to uh, a hospital, and he was, his life was saved. He was now in a refugee camp. That's where we met him. And he was handing out tracts like crazy. He was just going around. He was sharing his faith with everybody. Uh, just, a, just a jubilant guy. At the, after when we left, we, uh, he had such poor clothes. He had such poor shoes. So Lorraine and I had a little bit of extra money, so we, we left him with some money. And he said, this will help all of us. We said, no, we'll meet this for you. And he said, no. He said, I have brothers and sisters that are worse shape than I am. We found out later, sometime after we got back to Canada, that the Muslims had again arrested him. Somehow they got him. They smuggled him through the airport in Switzerland. They saw him on the video camera, but he was taken back, and we found out later that he was tortured and put to death. You see, for these people, it's a life and death decision to follow Jesus Christ. But folks, that is exactly what Christ is calling all of us to do. He is calling us to die to ourselves, die to our spiritual lives of ease, die to the all-about-me philosophy that has invaded not only a worldly society, but has crept into the churches of North America like a cancer. A church that has a it's-all-about-me philosophy is too small. Their world is too small. They're the only ones in it. And I can tell you a church that disappoints the heart of God. You see, we are called to march to the beat of a different drum. The priest's prayer of St. Francis of Assisi gives us some guidelines. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Oh, divine master. Grant that I may not so much seek to be, con- <clears throat> to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. In the bearing of that cross, I can assure you, there will be joys and sorrows and dangers and hardships and disappointments and frustrations. There'll be times when you want to quit. Jesus didn't. Peter didn't. And many of you seated here today have not quit either. Consequently, there's laid up for us a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to those who love his appearing. Godly love always involves responsibility. Godly love always involves sacrifice. It's easy to allow poets to write out our message of love. It's quite another thing to bring our sentiments and our testimonies into the dust and din of our daily lives and make an impact in our home and community for Jesus' sake. The foundation of love was not forged in the glitz and glamour of Hollywood or Las Vegas. It was demonstrated on an old rugged cross outside the walls of Jerusalem more than 2,000 years ago. God not only said... I love you so much, I'd die for you. He did. He did it so that all who believe in him need not perish but have everlasting love.
That is the power of love. And it's called redeeming love.